welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hello and welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. This is Jacob Machado. Father John Neppel, good to be with you. Jacob. Right in with the uh, introduction note. None of this rambling business. None of this rambling business. Um, last week, we were camping and uh, with the whole seminary, and I looked at, I think I was with Ryan Mack, one of your classmates, and I said, what day is it? And it was the 18th or whatever, and he said, I said, you're going to be a deacon in six months. Yep. How's that feeling? It's pretty wild. Uh, people have been asking me if I'm excited, how I feel, what's going on, and uh, honestly, I can't. I haven't even gotten there personally, yeah. so it's hard to answer. Um, I don't know if I'm excited about the day. I've told people I'm excited about like immediately after because it's going to be done. Right. It's set. You're in. You've promised. Like I'm ready for for surety. Yeah. Because one thing's going to happen. You know, you if if you don't vote on me and I'm out, that's the church saying. Don't think so, and yeah. that's that's certainty as well. Yep, I'm not expecting that, but uh, I'm you know I'm planning for ordination in February, and uh, and I'm just kind of ready to be rolling with it, you know. Um, the vo- vocational certainty, as they say, vocational certainty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're ready. I mean, yeah. I feel like you've been discerning priesthood for like the last 35 years. Uh, yep. So it's probably time yeah, to just it's be. Before be. I was <laughs> even in my mother's womb, I was discerning priesthood. Right. Um, I know that's actually not the case, but I just, we've known you for so long. So that's great. Um, I am excited. If I don't sound excited, it's, uh, not because of the topic. It's because of, it's because uh, between that one week, uh, the camping trip, we've had a week of seminary that felt like a month. Yes. It did Um, feel like a month. And probably like two months for you as the new vice rector and a house father and a professor. Right. I, uh, on Thursday I was having breakfast with some of the guys and, uh, David Hall and Ryan Mack were Mm -hmm. there and I was like, man, I feel so guilty. I haven't. I haven't been to any of the other houses this semester yet. And then I realized it's been four days. Yeah. Like not yeah. even four days. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 the seminary is so funny cause we get, we get going into the year. I think everybody's like, I can't believe summer's over. Um, I go into this like low key depression for like two weeks of like the summer's over. Okay. Get back to reality. Uh-huh. Um, and then you're in it and this is like a deep dive. Everybody mm-hmm. gets tossed into the deep end of the pool and uh we're in it and we're going but yeah vice i'm starting this new role as vice rector and um which i was telling jacob is is the guy who's responsible for everything but has authority over nothing so it's an interesting situation uh and i i really love it um and uh but it's yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a steep learning curve that's for sure and uh yeah, you're rolling into the diaconate here, which that's going to pick and up, and so one day at a time. We had uh, we were joking. There's an old tradition. It's more of a Roman tradition of the uh, lexio brevis. Mm-hmm. So the the first and last day of class is a kind of a brief introduction or farewell, and you kind of um, head on your way after five ten minutes. And uh, professors almost always come in and say like, "Hey." do Alexio Brevis, and then it turns into like 49 minutes instead of 50 minutes Right, of class. exactly. Uh, this year, there was no pretenses about it. None of our professors, day one, four hours of class, no professor, just like, all right, we're going. We're going, yeah. <laughs> um, That's all good. the new guys, yeah. I um, I did the Alexio Brevis. I mean, leave it to the Italians to, you know, any chance you, you can, you know, cut that corner. <laughs> uh, they're going to do it. Um, it's a great, great tradition. I also broke it, though, you know, because yeah. I'm blocking my classes. But anyways... <laughs> Teaching a course called Introduction to Theology, which is really um, going to be a great one uh, to the little kindergartners in first, philo- in first philosophy, the guys just out of the spirituality. And it's really a bridge course to 
trying to help them come out of this intensive year of prayer? Uh, and then how do you set into an academic setting now for seven years? So it's really, the course yeah. is more about contemplative intellectuality than it is um, theology per se. We're going to study mm-hmm. theology, certainly. But do you have, uh, I think, St. Thomas, The Science of St. Thomas by Peter? Is that I on did, your, yeah. Is that on it's your on the uh, list. Good. Yeah, I have all. an excerpt of that uh, for sure. So, yeah, so kind of pairs well with uh, the topic that we are, uh, this is a kind of a retread uh, yeah, uh, at the beginning of the summer, we were trying to get multiple episodes recorded because Father John was going to be on the trail, and so we were trying to fill the the summer docket, which is why some of you heard, you know, recordings like a week or two ago that were recorded at the beginning of the summer. Right. Um, and me and Father John tried to record this one, but I had put a faulty SD card in our recorder, and it just started skipping and the yeah. playback, and it was like a really good conversation. I wish we could repeat but i don't think we can uh without a <laughs> there's nothing uh more torturous than losing a a, a really good podcast i mean it, it's just like we just created something yeah. and it just died in front of us <laughs> it was like no so so we're, yeah we're gonna go over the same idea same themes uh they've evolved a little bit for me um as i've actually it's a, a different book i was reading kind of brought some new thoughts around um and then just kind of life and some conversations we've had and um, but we want to want to talk about the hidden life, um, and this kind of started for me uh, last, uh, I guess, beginning of the summer. I wanted to talk about this tension I had um, personally with being uh, approaching holy orders and being a public figure, a public person of the church, uh, and then desiring to live a hidden life. So, how do I balance being a public person and having a hidden life? Um, both are good, uh, both have purpose. Um, the hidden life is a lot more attractive. The public life is a lot more fraught with, uh, you know, temptation, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, temptations to pride, or I, I I recognize the irony of talking about the hidden life on a podcast that goes, you know, around the world. Right. Um, but, uh, that's a tension that I, I bear. Um, and what, what do I kind of protect in my own spiritual life, in my own um, relationships, friendships, uh, family, and then what is, you know, public. And to not be duplicitous, to not have, a, uh, you know, two images, but to say what is, what is to be reverenced, you know, what is to be hidden, uh, and what does it mean to have a hidden life? I, uh, I love the topic. I'm happy we're going back into it today, uh, just because you're going to get really sick and tired of me talking about the Caro Trail, uh, which if you're just listening here, I was on the trail from the month of July, uh, this long hike uh, through the Colorado uh, Rocky Mountains, and it was amazing, but it was a hidden life for sure. And uh, so it's going to help me to unpack it. So, But every basically every topic throughout the next at least year is going to be some of something Colorado on trail. this topic. So I'm happy to, to hear that we're going into it. So, Yeah, and uh, the kind of the movie that was uh, the background of it was the movie called The Hidden Life, which is about uh, Franz Jägerstatter uh, from Austria. And it was a uh, Terrence Malick film, I think released in 2019. Um, his interpretation of it was a little more humanist, mm-hmm. uh, focused a little more um, man's freedom against tyrannical government uh, was the overarching narrative. Um, whereas Franz, who is a recognized martyr and blessed, uh, since Benedict, uh, Pope Benedict, was um, first and foremost a man who had the freedom to follow his faith and conscience. Um, 
and it was less about, uh, you know, the little man standing up to the tyrannical government as it was a man of faith, um, not capitulating to the world. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so the Malik film is very beautiful. Um, I think you've, you've seen it at least once. Yeah. I, I had heard, um, nothing but good things about the film. Uh, it's kind of long, right? Um, it's over three hours. Yeah. And Um, so I was always just kind of like looking for a time to do it. And it just so happened. It was good Friday. And I was like, I think I'm going to watch this film. Um, so I watched it last April and it's absolutely unbelievable. I think it's the most beautiful film I've ever Mm -hmm. seen. Um, so definitely worth seeing, but yeah. Um, then unpacking more deeply, uh, the mystery of, uh, Jägerstadter's life. And, uh, I think, yeah, I'm just, I'm trying to remember all the different kind of ways to go about this, but, um, yeah, just starting with a, a basic just recommendation, like this movie is definitely worth watching. So. Yeah, and uh, one of the beautiful things, uh, it, it shows a man who who loved in a intense and real way, and he, he loved something beyond um, his own possession, his own goods. Um, he loved the, you know, the creator of the universe uh, and would offer everything, even to the point where um, in his people would question him about his conscience, his, his responsibility to his wife and his children, because, um, when he was imprisoned for conscientiously objecting against the Nazi regime, he said, I will not fight for the Nazi regime. He offered to go as a medic and they rejected that. Um, and then he would not take the, uh, the kind of the oath of fidelity to Hitler, uh, or, or however that oath was. And because of that, he was imprisoned. Um, I can't remember the German word. I looked it up. It was super fun. It was one of those like like five come Lego words. words. Yeah. But it was basically the, uh, uh, met a man who, um, attacked the, uh, the fighting power of the German people. Okay, <laughs> it was basically, yeah. it was like, um, uh, he was, he was sowing distrust in the, in the ranks or something uh-huh. like that. Um, but he was as a seditionist was then, uh, sentenced to death. Um, and people questioned like, why, why don't you just go along with it? You can say the words and not mean them. Um, you know, just say the words, you're not really giving your heart to it. Uh, and then you'll be able to take care of your family and, and come back. And he said, no, he's like, I know my heart. And I know if I say these words, I'm betraying God. Um, and he, he has this line in his last letter, something to the effect of, you know, I, I do not believe that God will, uh, will fault or will, um, you know, be angry, uh, that I, I, chose him over everything else or something like that. And he says, even to the point of my, my wife, my children, I trust that God will take care of them and there is eternity and I'll, I'll see them there. Um, and so a man of deep faith, uh, I think he had, you know, they, there's some accounts of his youth being a little more just kind of normal, uh-huh. but kind of reckless. He was the first guy, uh, in his, in his small town in Austria to own a motorcycle. So a little, little wild edge in his youth. Uh-huh. Um, but then, the people in the village recount this kind of conversion point. And from then on, you know, he kind of had this, this grace uh, and stability. So let's talk about uh, hiddenness as kind of a, as a theme or an idea here real quick. Um, I think Malik uses a line from, um, which author was it? Do you know what I'm talking about? The oh, beginning of the film? yeah. Um, um, I can't remember the name. Yeah, you might be able to find it. But anyways, it starts with kind of, the great things of life um, are oftentimes hidden. Like, and so he's on a natural way or poetic way reflecting on one of the truths um, of Christianity, which is this paradox of hiddenness 
in Christ while being in the world. So we could locate this in like Colossians, for example. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So hiddenness is constitutive of, of Christian of Christianity, but it's in a paradoxical way. And you, you laid it out well when you were talking about um, I'm stepping into this office uh, as a deacon here in six mm-hmm. months. Um, more, you're going to be more public than ever before. But also there's this movement in your heart, which is, I think, a natural one uh, and a really important one to say, the more that I go out, the more that I need to be hidden. Mm-hmm. Like they, they play together. Um, it's a lot easier when you're on the Caro Trail or when you're, you have your uh, wooded house up in the, uh, in the German Alps or whatever, and yeah. you can just work the land. Um, but that's not where we find ourselves, you know. So the quote you're talking about is from Eliot. Eliot, okay. And uh, it says that the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts. And that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. Hmm. Um, and now, yeah, you brought that up. I'd kind of forgotten. But that's, I think that's like the title uh, quote at the very beginning, like on a black screen, it's just text. And then the, the movie begins. Um, that or the end, I can't remember which. And uh, we talked a lot about that last time we tried to yeah. record on this. And um, the the fact that the world continues to turn um uh, who was it was it chesterton that said uh, if if the eucharist were stopped being <laughs> uh, confected by the church the world would cease or something like that i don't know and, yeah i'd have to fact check that one uh but a quote of that effective so like something that happens every day something that we just celebrated uh the eternal liturgy of god um but in such a normal way right uh People are driving by our churches, don't even know what's going on, and yet this profound uh, interplay between God and man is happening every day at the Mass. But beyond that, every single Catholic, every single Christian who brings their hidden life to the Mass, when it's, you know, that my sacrifice and yours may may be made acceptable, those sacrifices, those little um, moments of the hidden life being brought to God uh, in the liturgy, um, that's doing so much. Yeah. Yeah, I think that... um it's impossible to understand God uh, apart from this notion of hiddenness, that the whole logic of his self-disclosure and his revelation is about him, his desire to hide himself within hum- the human heart. So God is not in creation. So we don't have an unmediated, uncreated way of knowing him. We only know him through the mediation uh, in creation, and he, he becomes creation in the incarnation, but he's hidden. And the majority of Christ's life is the mystery of hidden family life, hidden agrarian peasant life, basically, in Galilee, 30 years, 90% of his life. Um, Get one account when he's, what, 12 years old? Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. Um, And uh, so much of that, we forget about that. Um, We just focus on the kind of public activity. But the hidden life of Christ, of course, is that he's abiding in the the heart of the Father, in his divinity, um, from all eternity. And that he, this is the dwelling place. And so hiddenness is not just about negating publicity or not doing things. Hiddenness is about returning back to the source of all things, which is the Father. And that's, that's why the whole logic of the incarnation and the hiding of the life of Christ, the contemplative life is the highest form of the, of the, um, of the states of life in the church. Um, and then the Eucharist as the really the kind of consummate hidden act where God is truly present but totally hidden. Um, 
in the Eucharistic form of bread and wine. Um, and that, that just, for me, just says we have to radically kind of encounter the mystery of, of hiddenness and the paradox of it if we want to really kind of get our heads around what is this whole Christian thing in general. Yeah. What's wild, uh, as you, you say that, is the paradox, again, of hiddenness and revelation. Um, it's a hiddenness that God makes public, that he reveals. Um, and that tension between revelation of knowing uh, and of hiding um, is kind of what I, I've been thinking on, even praying on. Um, and I guess I'll just say what I've been thinking and, and see what you think of it. But I was, I was reflecting on um, kind of humanity's desire to be known, but the risk and the pain of being known. So as soon as you, you reveal yourself, um, you're open to being wounded, right? Yeah. And because we sin, even the just man seven times a day, um, the person who lives open is constantly wounded. And so we want to close off. We want to scab up. We want to, to protect ourselves. Um, but the only way to really be known uh, is to, to reveal, um, which is a risk. But with that comes a suffering, kind of like hand in hand in this, in this world. Um, and pre-fall in the garden, we had original innocence, um, and there wasn't that wounding. And, and Adam and Eve could be fully revealed to each other uh, physically, spiritually, um, emotionally without the wounding. But after sin enters the world, um, we have the kind of original shame, as John Paul II speaks about. And it's this, this closing off to kind of protect that isn't wrong. Um, it is a protective move, right? Uh, but we're, we need the salvation of God and the divine love to reopen up. And so we've got two types. We've got kind of original shame, which is a protective thing, and then we've got shame of, of sin itself, which is the first thing that Adam does is hides himself in the garden mm. because he knows that he's naked. And so one is protective as far as like, now that I can be wounded, I have to be aware of this. The other is I know I've sinned and I don't want to be discovered. Um, and, and I think, you know, this is, we talked about this uh, kind of information. Part of our striving is to be open with our formators, with, with the rector and vice rector to, to be coworkers with formation. And I have to be a man living in the light and sharing, you know, <laughs> this happened. I did this. I, you know, I'm, I'm failed here. Um, but there's also a risk there because now you're making yourself vulnerable and are you going to be struck? Yeah. But part of it is, it's like, Hey, I sinned, you know, I want to hide that. Um, but then there's also the, I want to be known, but dang, it's going to hurt. Yeah, that's an interesting um, kind of parallel of, yeah, is hiddenness moving us towards relationship or is hiddenness uh, is a, as a way of running from relationship? Are we moving towards it or are we moving away from it? Um, I think the kind of post-lapsarian fallen hiddenness hiding, as you were saying, uh, is about running from relationship because we're wounded. Mm -hmm. Our nature is wounded. Our hearts are wounded. We don't want to be vulnerable. Um, and that is something that we do not uh, attempt and that we repent of when we, when we move that direction. But the movement into deeper relationship, especially with the Father in Christ, hiddenness, hiding one's life in God, as Paul says, which involves a kind of dying. Uh, there's no way to just kind of do it. There's no mystical technique that this kind of fulfills everything. You have to die. Um, when, when you start on that path, you start to realize that well, it's, it's really the essence of love to hide things, right? 
Mm-hmm. I remember, um, well, my favorite memories as a kid um, for Christmas were when my dad, I've probably talked about this before, when my dad would set up, uh, we would open a box and it was like the big gift at the end of the day, maybe like a ping pong table one year or something like that. And then he would hide the gift in the basement, but he would put clues all over the house and we would go from place to place and figure <laughs> out the next clue and then we'd end up in the basement. And it just the, it, here I am now, 39, turned to get 39 yesterday, I don't like saying <laughs> that, but... Um, what are my memories of um, when the th- the hidden things of love really express that kind of paternal and maternal mm-hmm. love? Uh, lovers desire to hide things. Like um, friends, you know, when you're little, they, they come up with little languages or different ideas and these things. And so there's something of the essence of love is to hide things. And that's why everything gets so messed up with the fall is that uh, it becomes uh, alienating and destructive to our nature uh, instead of leading us more deeply into communion. Yeah, I think of the uh, the definition of friendship that uh, we all get from Father Angel, but that part of it is the sharing, uh, the communication of goods, and the sharing of one of them is secrets. Secrets, yeah. And so there is a there is a secrecy. Um, yeah. There is a, there's something that isn't the world at large doesn't have a right to. Um, and uh, I've been reading on your and Father Peter Search. Sir Sitch's suggestion, uh, Island of the World by Michael O'Brien. So good. Um, and there's, there's two lines that I kind of highlighted um, thinking about this topic. And one of them, the main character is kind of going through reliving um, some of the trauma and kind of coming face to face with the, the immense suffering that this character experienced uh, earlier in his life. Um, and he doesn't really want to face it because there's a fear of going back to, um, to the wound. Uh, that he'll be hurt even more. But he, there's this line where he kind of reminds himself that if he would truly live, he must live with an exposed heart, with both blessing and loss. And so that the fact of the, the exposed heart being, um, it, it can only receive blessing if it's exposed, but it will also experience loss mm-hmm. if it's exposed. And so there's this, um, this great risk, but it actually allows you, uh, and it's, it's what Christ did in the incarnation, you know. Um, he... he made himself scourgeable and crucifiable um, to bear it. And, and so this is the, the openness. Um, but then on the flip side, he, uh, there's, there's a point towards the end of the book where another character wants to write his biography and wants to, to publish it at the beginning of um, kind of this, this history of his life. And the main character, who we followed from his childhood um, through to his old age, doesn't want all of these facts to be presented to the basically the the undeserving uh, masses that would consume it um, and he basically says that uh, I'll, I'll just read it here um, he says well such matters his personal facts of his life are important for the soul of a man the understanding to be gained from them is for the man himself and not for anyone who, from idle interest or, more perilously, curiositas, presume to enter into the realm of another's private memories. And so this curiositas is not so much how we use curiosity now, but it's, how it's, it's the vice that St. Thomas mm-hmm. um, kind of explains. And it's this curiositas is this, this unjust, unordered desire to know about something that you don't need to know about, uh, have no right to know about, you know. So these these special points of this man's life 
uh, which he has gleaned meaning from through the suffering and through the reconciliation. He doesn't want to just be facts on a page because there's so much more than that. Uh, and he said it's actually through his poetry people can understand what he's come to know from it. They won't get it from just purely the facts. And he says that um, he's, he kind of rails against other people's, quote, false assumptions of a right to know about the most intimate details of other people's lives. Hmm. And that's what I live in. You know, that's my tension personally about this wanting a hidden life. Um, we live in an era of perceived radical openness. Um, we have all of our communication channels. Um, we post about our life. We talk about our life on this podcast. Um, people feel a right to everybody else's life. And I'm very uncomfortable with that. Um, I don't think it's right. You know, I don't think there is a right to it, uh, to demand it. People can freely share it, and there's a risk there. But that's the tension I'm working into, and, and this book kind of put, put some words to it. Well, that book, I mean, Michael O'Brien, this is his, uh, anybody who's familiar with him, great Catholic novelist, uh, Canadian um, he's written maybe two dozen novels or so, but this one, Island of the World, from true like O'Brienites, I think mostly say <laughs> this is like the best one, and it's it's one of the top five best novels I've ever read. Um, absolutely, can't recommend it high enough. Uh, the story of Josip Lasta, a Croatian man who lives through the war, and uh, he is he is another model, another Jägerstatter type of um, a character who uh, does live that kind of hiddenness in life, and I. Just as you were speaking, I was just like, there's an there's a connection between. Well, I was I was looking at a Balthazar quote here, um, but thinking about the relationship between poverty and hiddenness because they are real. And so, Balthazar wrote this essay on spirituality, and he said uh, just a little line that stuck with me: "Today, only what is poor, interiorized, hidden, what is simple and true, can beneficially influence Christianity. Only what is poor, interiorized, and hidden." So what is he talking about here? Well, first off, there's a relationship between poverty, interiorization, and hiddenness. So um, these three things, none of which we really value in the modern world, um, are not only uh, intimately connected, but he's saying, this is how you build up the church. I was at a wedding reception a couple weeks ago, and great people, love being with them, but sitting around having having some drinks with uh, some of my old friends uh, from my first parish 10 years ago. And the conversation shifts to their children, almost all of whom have left the faith. And they weren't kind of going after me, but it was kind of like the church failed them. What are you going to do about it? Uh, you know, and how are you forming your guys so this doesn't happen? And I kind of wanted, you know, how you always play these things back in your head. <laughs> like four days later, you're like, oh, that was the perfect line. Um, but what I should have said was, yeah, the church did fail them, um, but so did their schools, and so did you. And then ultimately, it's them who make that decision. We, we speak of the church as this kind of monolithic institution that that, you know, has too much bureaucracy and needs to be updated. And it's just like church is a mystery. Church is the Eucharist. Church is Mary. Um, church is the community of saints. What are you talking about when you say church? That's a whole nother topic, but I just wanted to yeah. mention that because what I, what Balthazar is saying to that question is, yes, I have a job to do. I'm the vice rector. I need to order the house well so that you men can flourish in it. But the most important thing I can do for the church to benefit the church, to quote-unquote, improve the church is by way of poverty, 
interiorization and, and hiddenness. Mm -hmm. That's a very different way of thinking, but that's a, that's a supernatural vision. Uh, and, and a, and a real one of the church instead of kind of this, I don't know, maybe a material reduction of the church to some kind of organization. Yeah. And it thinks, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just the fact that we'll accuse the church for all the, <laughs> all the wrongs done. Um, and then demand change for, you know, who knows which, where you want change, uh, and to not recognize that I am the church, you know, um, you are the church. Each person is the church and yet the church is bigger than each of us. Yeah. Um, and, and I love going back to the quote, uh, that the, it would not be as, as, or it might not be so well off for us if it weren't for the small, unseen, hidden acts of unvisited graves, uh, men, men and women who lived lives um, and are forgotten. And uh, one of the things I, especially when, when I talk with friends who are kind of despairing at the state of the world or the state of the church or whatever it may be, and they're like, where are the good men? And he said, the good men, you're not hearing it from them because they're not the ones drawing attention to themselves. Right. You know, the good men, I look around at uh, these husbands, these fathers who are just faithful and good and raising children well and doing the best they can, showing up every day. That's a hidden life. And that's more transformative, um, honestly, than anything we say on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Anything absolutely. that reaches 10,000, 10 million people, uh, the, the day in, day out, um, commitment of these good men and women uh, in families. Uh, the good, you know, where are the good men? They're they're there, but the good men aren't the ones saying, "Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me." Right. You know. Right. <laughs> um, and I think even Jägerstadter's story. What I learned from our last conversation on it was, it was totally hidden and really lost. Um, and uh, that's, I mean, I think for. 50, 60 years, and wasn't it Thomas yeah. Merton who kind of... Yeah, there was a Zahn, um, Gregory Zahn, I believe, wrote a biography, uh, and then Thomas Merton pulled from that in like the 60s, okay. um, or 69 or something like that. I can't remember exactly when. Uh, and he just put a basically one chapter in one book um, about Franz that uh, kind of re-illuminated him in, in the Catholic uh, American world. Um, and he became kind of a, a hero of the pacifist movements at the time, kind of contra Vietnam and everything else. Um, Franz became kind of this religious slash secular figure for that. Um, but that's where he kind of was revealed um, years after his death. Uh, and up to that time, his wife and children were still suffering uh, ridicule hmm. from the village. Like they just... Uh, they thought that he was kind of a traitor, that he was, uh, thought he was better than everybody else type of character. Um, and it wasn't until I think the 90s that they officially um, repealed the, the, uh, the ruling that he was a, a seditionist um, and, uh, and legally under the whatever <laughs> documentation in, in Austria and Germany, um, he, was, he was exonerated of his, quote, crime. Uh, in the '90s, that's crazy. And then Benedict, um, you know, made declared him a, a martyr and an apostolic exhortation, and then later beatified him. Hmm. Um, but yeah, you're talking 40, 50 years after. And I think of like Saint Therese as well, right? She goes into this um, Carmel at as a young girl, and except for the fact that God wanted it to happen, she would have been completely hidden and never known. But God said, I am going to teach a new way, the little way of faith through this small saint, um, because God wanted it 
you know, so God will reveal. Like, I don't have to go and try and, like, make myself revealed um, if I'm interiorizing and living in the heart of Christ. Uh, if God wants it revealed, he'll reveal it. That's his work. He's, yeah. he's, he's both the word uh, and the author, uh, so he will reveal, right? Yeah, I think um, just kind of flowing on this kind of, but taking a different direction. Hiddenness, the hidden life. You watch this movie and you say to yourself, that looks really sweet. I want that life. I want that, you know, beautiful, simple, go, taking me back to an agrarian world, mm-hmm. back to a pre-industrial society where things are simple and silent and life moves at a human pace. This is my experience on the trail. And this is why yeah. I have not, I have not transitioned back into urban life uh, very well at all. Um, and so I, I just think on a natural level, we have to kind of rebuild the conditions uh, of contemplation that make us desire hiddenness. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times uh, the natural progression of life happens that way. You, you, you know, you, you grow up, you get married, uh, and then when you start having kids, you, you have to live a hidden life again. I mean, you don't have to, but it, it invites you back to, especially these little ones. It's just yeah. like they need stability. They need a home. Um, and the family really becomes this, this opportunity for hiddenness, uh, and it creates that marriage and family kind of create that natural ambit for it. I think as, as uh, companions, as priests, we need to create, concretely create like islands of humanity where, where you can yeah. do that, where you can live a hidden life. And, and like you said earlier about the seminary, like what makes our seminary great and healthy, which I think it is, um, is not the leadership and it's not the, certainly not the qualifications of the vice rector. That's for <laughs> damn sure. Um, it's the simple hidden life and it's men who love hiddenness. And a lot of this, a lot of the strength of our men come from guys who grew up in Western Kansas and places where life is simple and, and hiddenness is a kind of a natural movement or tendency in the human heart. Mm-hmm. And that makes the leap into Carmel, uh, or for Kate going into contemplative life, like we talked about last week, it, it looks more natural. But when you're living in an activistic technological society uh, where we have inf- like the, the promise of infinity, mm-hmm. I can go anywhere for dinner tonight. <laughs> right? Where do I want to go? You know. Yep. Um, and you lose that. It looks it looks impossible. Like it literally looks like an insane thing to do. Uh, but if you if you love the hiddenness on a natural level, then there's going to be a natural movement also, I think, towards that supernatural desire. So anyways, yeah. just some more thoughts there. Yeah, there's a little, little tangent I just want to go on because uh, you said this, this invitation to infinity, right? Um, but it's not eternity. It's an infinity. Um, and this infinity is like, hey, you could do anything you want at any time with anyone. Uh, go. And then you look at that and you're like, how do I choose? Yeah. Right? And I, there's a science fiction short story... Um, uh, kind of an anthology from a Chinese writer that I read two or three years ago. But one of the um, stories has this basically like a, a Google or an Apple or an Amazon type of like technical uh, company that just dominates uh, the world um, with its its information. But it does it via um, suggestion and it applies, it, it implies that you have freedom, but it's kind of shows that man has started to say in face of this infinite choice, I don't know how to choose. So I'm going to give my will over to these curated algorithmic suggestions. Mm. And so the entire first bit of the story I think is brilliant because this guy gets off work and his, uh, his like 
Siri type uh, voice in his ear says, Hey, uh, I've found two options for you from your dating uh, app to ask one of these women out to dinner tonight. Um, would you prefer this one and kind of reads her profile or this one reads his profile? And he goes like, well, maybe this one. And she's like, well, she's, she's pretty compatible for this reason, but this other one's like really compatible for you in these ways. And he's like, all right, cool. Let's ask her out. And then, so they do that. And then she comes back with like, all right, where would you like to take her? And, uh, gives him two or three options for restaurants. And he says, well, I'm thinking about this one. Tell me more about that. And the digital assistant goes, that's a great choice. Here's all the reasons that's good. But, uh, based on her dating profile and the fact that I've found a 20% off coupon for this one, um, it might be better to go to this one. And he's like, oh, great. Let's book it there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so it's just this, he, he kind of has given himself over to the suggestion of, you know, I, I don't actually want to make the choices, make it for me. Uh, and there's not a freedom there. Um, because we're not in, we're, we're in this like false infinity rather than in an eternity, which is a moment. And that's why I bring back to, to hiddenness, the eternal moment of entering into the, the eternity of God. You know, it's not just eternal life. Isn't living, you know, a sequential number of days infinitely. It's a moment. Um, it's love yeah. entirely. And it's entering that hidden reality of the Trinitarian love, which you know, just saying that feels like a cheapening of it. Um, <laughs> uh, but that's hidden and it's a moment uh, and it's a relation. Um, I would love to go for another hour <laughs> on this topic because I'm reading a book right now called Christ and Apollo. And it's a study of basically how modern literature, the literature, literary imagination has uh, in the modern world has denied the finite, the definite, and, and it's always this kind of desire to move into infinity, you know, um, and which is a false grasp. Like, and that's a very interesting kind of thing you're reading as well. So maybe we'll circle back on kind of finitude. Creation <laughs> is finite, so there is no infinity in creation. God reveals himself as eternity that's different. Um, and so that, that's just a very interesting thing to think about. But, but technology certainly gives us the sense that we, ha- we have infinite power. We have yeah. infinite choice. And so part of hiddenness, I think maybe this is the last point I'll make today. Part of hiddenness is an acknowledgement of finitude. I'm going to take this experience and I'm going to give it. I'm going to hide it. I'm going to choose to do this. Every act that I do is is something definite. I choose this. I choose this mm-hmm. woman. I, I live with her now. This is my life. I'm married one time. And we can't just live in infinity and infinite choice and infinite probability. And it's, it's destroying the world. I mean, we have more anxiety, more depression, more suicide right now, I think, than any time ever. Dr. Lynch mm-hmm. told me that recently. Like, the studies are out. We are, we are a mess. We're, we're worse off. Why? We are living in this dream of, of the infinite, that we just have all this random access to anything at any time. Um, and it totally is unsatisfying the human heart. Yeah. So what do we do? Well, as Christians, we say this. Prayer, which is the relationship with God, has to be a way of acknowledging our poverty, interiorizing our experience and the the work of grace, and then hiding our life in him. That's what prayer has to be. And if that's done in such a way that leads to deeper relationship, especially with the Father, the origin of all being, um, then, then we're going to have people really moving into the depths uh, of Christ and of, of the of the truth of a Christian experience. So, Yeah, I think uh, I would just say I've never felt so uh, so much like a foreigner uh, 
strangers in a strange land uh, in my native America, you know. Um, I want a slower life. Um, and I say that and people are like, oh, you're just lazy. And it's like, maybe. I don't think so, though. Um, I think you and I, uh, there's a lot to do in our day-to-day, uh, but I think we're fighting for contemplation, uh, a time of quote-unquote wasted time, yeah. uh, which a lot of people think prayer is, which at the same time, it's like, you know, there's there's all this, you know, literature about how you need to meditate for 10 to 15 minutes a day to stay sane or whatever it is. Um, and, and the world's like constantly telling us more, 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 produce, 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 consume, 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 but also to be healthy, slow down, mm-hmm. chill out. It's like the schizophrenic message. And I think, you know, as, as architects of culture, as Catholics, um, as pilgrims, we're pilgrims. This isn't our home. We're heading to our eternal home. Um, we need to be able to, to keep that first and forefront in our, in our mind and slow down. Even if the world speeds on by, um, I think there's something about that intentional moment. Because um, the speed of the world is because it's always moving to the next thing. And it's never contemplating this, whatever this is. Uh, and so it's so fast because I'm always always there, 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 there. Um, and so I'll close with, uh, with this quote from Franz. It was his last, his last letter. Uh, uh, they basically gave him a piece of paper while his hands were in chains right before he was uh, executed. And he says, if I must write with my hands in chains, I find that much better than if my will were in chains. Neither prison nor chains or nor sentence of death can rob a man of the faith and his free will. God gives so much strength that it is possible to bear any suffering. People worry about the obligations of conscience as they concern my wife and children. But I cannot believe that just because one has a wife and children, a man is free to offend God. And mm. this is a man who is imprisoned, chained, and he says, I am free to choose my God, and that cannot be taken away. Because he was just offered before this. He's like, sign this, you're free to go. Last, you know, as he's facing the guillotine. And he says, I would rather my, chain, my wrists be chained than my soul. Um, and I just, that's the, the image I leave. <laughs> Love it, yeah. Well, I hope this recorded well, because that was an enjoyable conversation, so. yeah. It looks, good. it looks so far. Good. It looks good. I, uh, yeah, I'll play it back. Hasn't uh, started but, doing uh, weird things. No, so no blinking at me. No errors. Um, I think we got it pretty well lined up. Uh, after a summer of recording, we're doing pretty well. Sweet. Yeah, we're gonna start uh, rolling into um, kind of a regular. Uh, obviously, every every Thursday podcast can be coming out. I think we mentioned this on social media, but in two weeks, uh, we're gonna do all four of the boys if we can get them together. Uh, our schedules that's are kind of nuts. That's the uh, challenge. And we're taking questions. And I think Mary Machado already gave us 20. So Was it 20 questions or 20 title possibilities? Uh, I, I forget what it was, yeah. But way. it was fun seeing her at the I've talk seen, this I've week. had three people come up and tell me, hey, I sent questions in. And I'm like, two of them, I was like, I don't know who you are. Yeah. And the third was like, that's great. <laughs> so we're going to try and do this a couple uh, times a year. We just kind of so. t- take questions and... Uh, Catholic stuff you should ask, I think, is what it's being uh, called. Yes. And uh, so we're looking forward to doing that. Um, and then just getting into a regular routine where the four hosts are, you're, you're hearing from all of us equally, but kind of in a ro- sequential rotation now that we're out of summer. And yeah. I am back out of my hidden life. Yes, back into the public seminary sphere. Um, right. And I do say, uh, those people have come up to me. Uh, it's been fun chatting with you. Thank you for your affirmations of the podcast. Um, I am uh, participation. Can I throw a couple shout outs real quick? Please do. Uh, these are from May. I'm so far back on my shout out <laughs> list because I've been gone all summer. But um, 
Gaffney's ordination was a blast. Father Andrew Gaffney, uh, total goon. Love that guy. Uh, David and Carrie Glenn uh, and their kids, Henry and Ellen, loved meeting you guys. That was like such a joy. Um, and then also um, got a spiritual banquet from this sweet woman, Teresa Simeo, in uh, Wheaton, Illinois, for my anniversary back in May, and I'm really uh, grateful for that. And then lastly, um, Kevin and Katie Donahue in Kalispell, Montana, uh, met them at Deacon Kyle's ordination, and they're they're just great friends of all the Montana boys and taking care of them. So, yeah. thanks to the Donahues or Donahoes, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Sorry about that. My name shout out will be uh, Elizabeth and Tom, who I literally just today was geeking out about Island of the World with. Uh, so they uh, saw them after mass, and we started talking, and I brought this book up, and they just like their eyes just got yeah like, ten times bigger, and we just kind of talked about all the beautiful stuff in it. So Tom and Elizabeth, love it. All right, buddy, thanks. We will uh, be back next week with uh, two other characters. We'll see who's on the docket, and then we'll all be together in two weeks. Yeah. So. Any questions you want added to that, uh, you can send to catholicstuff at gmail.com. Catholicstuffpodcast at gmail.com. You have two months to memorize that, otherwise you get fired. Great. So I might just uh, get fired so I can go back to my hidden life. There you go. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care.